The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings Podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkus. And I'm Max George. If you can't tell from that sound, we're talking about Hereditary. But if you have seen Hereditary, you probably cringed and probably just throw your headphones across the room when you hear that. This movie is so good! Yes, I am incredibly impressed with this movie. I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, like, the trailer was really creepy. But, you know, we didn't know too much about the movie going in, thankfully. That's the best way to see that movie. Yeah, really, that, that, oh, I don't have even words to describe how much of a difference not knowing anything about the movie really helped terrify you. It was, ugh, But, fantastic. I mean, even if you know where the plot was going, you don't, but even if you did, like, it's still just an impressive film, no matter what. But, I mean, we're going to get into that in a great, a lot more detail uh, but first, we have a very special treat. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, what you did as soon as you saw Made in Utah? Yeah, so something really awesome about Hereditary is, as Nathaniel just mentioned, it was completely filmed in the glorious state of Utah. Where we both live. Yeah, it was locally done. And when I saw that, I could not withhold myself and had to reach out Uh, to the film company who kind of helped produce this movie. And bizarrely enough, they were incredibly receptive and extremely friendly to work with. And they've actually really have networked with us a little bit with the podcast. And so we were able to reach a couple of people with the company. And one of those being Scott Chester, um, who was the line director for this movie, which is essentially... He was the project manager for a lot of the different kind of aspects of filming this this cinematic masterpiece, in my opinion. Um, and so we interviewed him, and it was spectacular, and we got a lot of amazing insight, not only about the movie, but about filming in general. And we're just super excited. And and honestly, he does probably a better job than we will at describing this this amazing movie. Yeah, and so this is actually going to be uh, the first of a very special two-part episode on Hereditary, uh, because, like Max said, you know, the people who worked on the film really uh, opened up a lot to us, and so yeah, this episode we're going to have our our thoughts on the movie and our interview with Scott, and then next week we're going to have another interview, maybe uh, even two, we're, we're still uh, playing around with that. And also, uh, then, to dig more into the demonic folklore of the film. So, it's going to be really cool. I think you guys are really going to enjoy what we've been able to put together for Redditary. Uh, but I guess without further ado, let's launch the interview with Scott. Um, I apologize that the sound quality isn't amazing. I did the best I could to clean it up, but we had to kind of record over Skype. But yeah, it's... 
a really good interview, as you will see in just a second. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. been in production since the mid-80s. I started out as uh, an assistant to Pee Wee Herman's manager and then ended up working uh, with Pee Wee and that whole team for about six years through uh, three seasons of The Playhouse and, and both of his features. Uh, and then I just I worked into being an independent production supervisor, uh, production manager, line producer, whichever, you know, whatever the project that I was being asked to work on required. Uh, have never done a horror film before Hereditary. I, I've been fortunate to have, uh, you know, to work here in Utah. I have uh, two years ago a script called Damsel came through, which actually opens tomorrow uh, with Robert Pattinson. Uh, and then the next summer, Hereditary came through. Um so it's just been, it was good timing for me and, and uh, that they called and, and uh, you know, were interested in having me work on it. And then, of course, to be able to work on a film like Hereditary that's being so well received is pretty exciting. I can only imagine. For those of us outside the film industry, can you shed a little bit of light of, of what exactly like you do as a line producer? Yeah, so in those three different roles, like a, a there's a production supervisor, you have a production manager, and he runs day-to-day -day production, from mostly from a hiring and budgetary standpoint, right? How the costs are being spent, you know, and uh, how the, each day-to-day -day, uh, on the schedule is being executed, and how you're making your days, and all with the same goal of you know completing the show on budget and on time. A production supervisor will be somebody who helps out with the production manager if the show's got some other elements in play that require. You know, whether it's special effects or stunts or second units that are running. Sometimes I've been on shows where a production manager, like this show may require a lot of night shooting. So the production manager a lot of times will work during the day. And since there's so much work to do with vendors and accounting and then need someone to run the set at night. And that's where I would come in as a, a supervisor. In the line producer role, you're covering kind of all of that as well as just overall production, helping with cast, not necessarily involved in casting the film. But just helping when you have the cast coming in and how they integrate into the show and travel and et cetera, as well as all the other, you know, just production elements. So you're kind of, you're overseeing a UPM and a production supervisor who had one. On Hereditary, I was the line producer and UPM, which that film became more difficult and complicated as we went along, but it was, it was good to get to be in that role. Wow, sounds super stressful. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's all, yeah, look, production, Production can be hard. Uh, you know, you work a lot of 12, 14, 15 hour days, uh, but it's always different. You know, every day is different and it's, uh, it's kind of an adrenaline rush working on films. In the end, no day is the same. You know, and, and you just, you have so many elements in play every day and so many extenuating circumstances that can affect that day, whether it's, you know, just, you know, mechanical or weather or what have you. But it, it is fun and it, it's really fun when you're getting to work together with a super experienced team and real creative people, which that's what Hereditary uh, had. And he just basically said, like, in production, you never know what comes at you, you know? And that's that's the way production is. And, and it's, it's, it's almost a drug, I think. Like, you know, it's, it's super hard, but you'll get phone calls to do projects, and and uh, the challenge of helping execute them and getting, getting them on the screen is, is always, you know, something I, I enjoy, and uh, you try to tackle it, and a lot of people in production have that same philosophy, I think, and that's what, that's what makes it fun. It's, it's giving me a, 
uh, a career that's been really fun, uh, up and down, you know, but I've, I've got to work on some cool projects with, uh, some, some really great people from directors and producers and cast members and just crew. Um, but that, it, you know, we all don't get to work. We all work on a lot of films and, and people don't get to see them always, you know, and so to work on something that's getting such attention and more importantly, I think, a movie that's really moving people, even the way Hereditary moves people, whether they're just so disturbed or screwed up by it or frightened, you know, it's it's pretty cool because it's working. So it's fun to have been part of that. Yeah, and we've talked about that on our podcast as well, especially with the horror genre, that a lot of times, and I know for me specifically, horror is very cathartic, you know, it allows you to escape into a world that someone else has a bigger problem than you do. Are you a horror fan at all? Do you have a favorite scary movies or anything like that? You know, uh, I've, I <laughs> again, like I, I had never worked on a horror film before. I've been involved in action and comedies. Uh, as far as a movie goer, it, it's never, I, I, just, I don't, I, I kind of don't like to be scared. You know, like I've been, you know, there's films that, you know, I mean, I've watched The Exorcist. I love The Shining. Me going back to the kind of those old classics. I also like, the scary movies because I, I like the comedy yeah. uh, element to it, and uh, you know I, I definitely like thrillers, but it's not something that I rush out to see. And even when I read this, I vividly remember reading it, and no, you know, no spoilers. But I got to a, a part of the script where I was like, "Holy crap! What just happened? Like, was that? Oh my god, that was, you know." And I started flipping back, and I, I remember thinking, "Like, this is insane." And it was bothering me. I finished reading the script and I got home and I was really disturbed by it. Like, not that it was bad. It just, it touched a nerve, what you just said, which was, it was like the guy next door's family. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that you go, ah, oh, it's just, you know, it's, it's just a movie. You're like, this is really disturbing. And I had two thoughts. One, was I cool with it? And number two, could I put a crew in Utah together? to work on a project with that content, you know. Uh, we do have a lot of LDS members in, in the film community, and much to my surprise, they bought into Ari's vision and Pavel the DP's vision and, and the script. I definitely had people who called and said, this isn't for me, but, you know, it was, I, what I saw was, I had a friend of mine say, oh, you've worked on a lot of shitty movies, and I go, no, 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 this isn't a bad movie. This is disturbing as heck, yeah. and I don't know... I don't know if I want to be, and then once I got into meeting with Lars, the producer, and, and again, Ari and Pavel and the elements they were bringing in, and Grace Yoon, who was a production designer, it was really talented filmmakers working on it with a really well-written screenplay and a phenomenal cast. So you're always looking for projects that you get, you know, because what I do, I don't creatively put them together. So, you know, it's just kind of what comes into our lap. And so for a film with that kind of elements involved, that seemed to be so frightening, uh, but not like a jump scare horror film, you know, just disturbing. It was, it, it was, I was, I was ready to, to, uh, you know, dive in and see how I could help. Kind of the power of the project kind of sucked you in. Having seen the film, it's, it, it definitely doesn't pull any punches and it, yeah, really does do a, an amazing job of, of having that disturbing, but in such a powerful, effective way because the filmmaking is so good. Well, I've heard Ari say, and it's so true, you know, it's kind of the slow burn. It's this, it's this family drama that curdles into a nightmare. And that's how the film was. And, and I think that as, 
as, a, as being part of a filmmaking community, sitting down with Ari and Pavel for just a half an hour and listening to them talk about the project and how much passion was in it and how well it was thought out, how they wanted to shoot it. It's hard to not want to be part of that. And, and also, you know, to try to give them the tools and the, and the team that they need to execute how they've envisioned the movie. And, uh, Utah's very, got a lot of talented people in it and, you know, behind the camera people. And it, it was, it was a set of circumstances where a couple other shows wrapped and, uh, pretty much at the same time. And, and as they wrapped, that kind of A-list crew that I felt we needed as far as experience levels, especially in the world of stunts and special effects was available. And so it was just really good timing. And if that movie comes in, Three or four months later in Utah, the town was slammed. And, you know, maybe we're not able to put that as great a crew together. And, and then maybe I have to bring more people in from out of state to work on it, which becomes a lot of money going into hotels and car rentals and flights, which isn't going on the screen. So it was, it was just, it was fortunate and it just, it's awesome that we got to produce such a quality product out of Utah. I really liked what you said about the movie being kind of a slow burn. You know, a lot of horror movies, I think, nowadays try and get in your face as soon as possible. You know, you see the demon, you see the witch, you see the monster within 30 minutes of the movie. And I, one of the best things I loved about Hereditary was that very fact that you weren't really sure what was going on until the very end of the movie. And when it kind of when the shit hit the fan you were very disturbed and very terrified and i really really appreciated that in this movie well you know when you're sh when you're shooting films uh from my experience which isn't by no means any kind of expert experience but you know, just being on the set you're, there's films that you work on and you go like wow this is really funny or this is gonna be really good and then you see it and it doesn't come together and then there's other films that you work on and you go like i don't know man like pretty good, but I don't know how, and then you watch it, and it just, it just delivers. Hereditary was something where we had so many elements in play, the cast was so good, the performances on a daily basis were just so right on, there was a lot of emotion on set, you know, you just felt like there was something going on here that was kind of going to another level, and then to go to a theater at Sundance and watch it, and watch people clench their hands into a fist for two hours, or sit on the front of their seat or, you know, about snap their neck in half when the cluck happens, you know, from the back seat. Like, you're just like, oh, man, this the audience is totally pulled in. Whether or not they're enjoying the experience, I don't, you know, you don't really know, but the fact is they're t pulled into that film, and that's just a massive combination of, you know, Ari's, Ari's vision and the way it's shot and the way the story's being told, and then the way he incorporated this phenomenal sound and edit and music, like it just all came together. I think that's what kind of taken people on this different ride. And it's a film you feel like you got to see more than once if you enjoyed it the first time, right? Absolutely. Uh, so what about the film made it work so well, you know, being shot and set? There's one thing there. Like I, we've worked on films that come to Utah and they're just looking, they think we have a very good incentive here out of the film, uh, you know, out of the government's film program. And so they come here to kind of chase that money and then put that money into their movie. So that works. And sometimes the film is here, but they don't want to identify as Utah. I'm actually shooting something right now that's supposed to be back in Jersey. So we're in a situation where we never show uh, the mountains, right? You never see the Wasatch Range and, and all. And and so sometimes you have that element. When a film comes and it's like, yeah, we don't really 
care where it is, and let's take advantage of how beautiful Utah is, and you start to see the mountains in the background and the old apartment building up in downtown, and then the house up in Park City, and, uh, you know, it just kind of opened the film up, it gives it a great backdrop, and also just kind of like, you know, I mean, I don't know that Salt Lake City is anywhere America, but it still is just an American town, um, you know, and again, Utah is, it's a great place, there's a lot of outstanding product coming out of here, the show Yellowstone that just premiered last night with Kevin Costner, that's all done here in Utah, and the film Wind River, and uh, the Andy Mack series for Disney, and there's just a lot of great content because we have, you know, good crews and, and uh, experienced crews and, and, and we have the equipment here. And so the money ends up going on the screen when a filmmaker comes into Utah and we can put, you know, 90% of the crew from the state and the dollars are going to effects and stunts and locations and set builds. And, and also, I just think that Hereditary, you know, really got their money's worth on the screen and it made it advantage definitely an advantage to be in Utah to do that. Were there any challenges that you faced filming in Utah? Especially, I know you've mentioned a few, you had some hesitations about it, the content of the movie and kind of the demographics of Utah. Were there anything or any other challenges that you guys faced? One, one fear, not fear, but you know, concern would be that a lot of times in May, June, July, we didn't shoot in July, but May and June, you get them afternoon thunderstorms that can come in and just wipe out a day. And so to me, from a production standpoint, I was always worried about, especially when we we're up in the Park City area shooting, obviously not on the stage, but in the house location, you know, just how that would, if that could affect us. But as far as the challenge here on the content, I think that, and I, I that might have been overblown in my own head, but I learned after that was not to question as much. I mean, there's, there's a lot of horror movies that have been shot here. It's a genre that they do do. I just felt that this one with the, the paymentist, the satanic, you know, issues involved in it, that it could, it could touch people's nerves in a way that they wouldn't want to be involved. And like I said, there was, there was a handful of people, but more, but mostly the reaction was, this is a movie that's not a movie, typical film we do here and got a really talented director and I want to be part of it and I want to help in this vision. So I, there, to me, the challenges here were, were really minimal because there's it's so production-friendly. So Awesome. And I, I just have to give a shout-out to you guys and especially to Ari about how you tackled the whole demon kind of portion of the movie. I'm kind of a, a demonology nerd myself, and the way you guys handled that and the how it came across was just very authentic to what you normally see, you know. Typically, demons are spitting green pea soup and, you know, spider crawling down the stairs. But how you guys treated it, I thought, was just brilliant. Well, you know, I I, I just, I always harken back to that this film was something Ari had worked on for a long time. And, he, you know, in his head and then on the page. And, and uh, he had done some projects before with Pavel that Pavel shot for him. And, uh, and I think that the camera is such a character in this movie as well, the way it moves around. Agreed. And try to help tell the story, right? Like we we shot so much on a dolly, which you know that that then falls on having an outstanding camera operator and an outstanding focus puller. And uh, again, we were able to fill you know to fill those needs. Um, as far as all the demon stuff goes, I mean, it, it, from the jump, Ari, you know, he had a vision about how to show it and how he wanted it to play, and uh, he was able to you know to translate that vision to the right people as far as special effects and VFX and the stunts and sell that activity, you know, like, 
I saw a thing on the internet the other day where it was a hereditary challenge, like on Instagram or something, where people are like trying to push themselves up into their ceiling, you know, like be frozen up in the corner, like standing <laughs> on furniture and stuff. And you're like, it's just amazing because it's so subtle in the film, right? It just, it just, you can feel the people recognize her up in the corner or, you know, and it's just like there's a subtle gap, a subtle gasp of air. Where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, and uh, it's just cool the way he shows. I, he's a, to me, he's a, he's somebody we're going to know about for a long time. He's just got, he's got it, and uh, thankfully, you know, we got to witness it on this. And not only him, but you guys had an amazing cast of actors that I was just blown away with, and primarily Millie Shapiro, who played Charlie. She was terrifying. <laughs> She's the sweetest young girl, too. You know, uh, she's got a look about her, and, and she's such a good little actor. And uh, Ari had said to me when we were just at the very beginning, you know, I found this girl in New York, and I and it went to meet her. You know, and I'll, I'll never forget the day she was, she'd come in for her makeup and hair test, and I just went to say hi to her and her mom who traveled with her. It was a really nice lady as well. And and Millie turned around, and I, I felt back. I literally was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> like, she just had this look about her that looked, it just, it was piercing. And, you know, and boy, was she just so on the money in the film and, you know, adapting that character. And, and yeah, it was really cool. And then, you know, to have a person like Tony Collette yeah. and uh, David, uh, not David, Alex Wolf, you know, was, uh, and of course, Gabriel, but Alex was playing such a difficult role. It had to go to some really dark places. You know, and Tony, Tony, Tony too. But just real pros, you know, and, Go, you know, it was 32 days of shooting, and every day was hard. So to get through it, you know, you always hope it pays off, and, and I, I just avoided it, it ever. And the turmoil and the despair that they were, like, showing and acting, it was just, they did such a phenomenal job. I can't get over it. You know, I was I was privy to a couple conversations with, you know, with the director and the actors and all, and, and, and you know, you realize we all have things in our life that are... If whether it's a confrontation with our parents or as a parent with our children, you know, you you have things, and, and families are tough, and being a family unit is tough, and, and to get thrown into, you know, the tragedies that they are thrown into, it, it just amplifies it, right? And I think that's why it feels so real. It's like the conversations around the dinner table, or when she's in the bedroom with him, and you know, when, when Tony's in uh, with with uh, Peter, you know, like you just you just it doesn't. It's nothing where you're like, man, I don't know anybody like that. You're just in there like, wow, like that's so feels so natural and real what a family could go through with these tough times. And, and it takes great actors. And, you know, that big scene with, with, uh, Wolf, when he's in the car with his sister, I mean, he is so phenomenal in that. And I can tell you that when that was over, it, it you know, it, it drained him. And it, it, and then you realize stepping back, like, well, where do you, what place do you have to go to where you can, put that kind of emotion into a scene and boy did he ever man so good so i guess along those lines what was your favorite part of the film well i mean i i love how much this the practical effects we did are in the film as practical and people i think a lot of times think it's vfx uh, you know stuff related to the fire and, and again I, I know the movie's been out a couple of weeks but without spoiling it you know but i i you know the, the scene with with uh Peter and his mom in the attic is just, I can, you know, the, the camera operator, after we shot that scene, 
he's a very experienced guy, Brian Sullivan. He lives here in Utah. And, and I, I really, I actually didn't want to watch that scene be shot. I, I, it, it bugged me. And uh, the, the scene was done, and I kind of came on set, and uh, I saw Brian, and I, he was in a daze. He was just kind of glazed over, and I said, you all right? And he goes, yeah, man, like, that'll be the most iconic frame of film I'll ever shoot. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, he shot on Rivers Wild and some, some pretty good movies, you know, and, and then when I saw the, the, you know, the dailies of that, like, my God, that, it's, you know, it's Tony character. I mean, it, it just looks so real. And the thing that, that she's doing that in front of her son was just, uh, that's crazy. I, I think in the end, that was my favorite because on the page, it's frightening as hell, but to see it, to see it played out, better than it was on the page was was pretty impressive and, and harrowing, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I learned on this, like, I want to talk about the movie, but if you if there's if you guys have listeners out there who haven't seen it yet, like, it's just, you just got to go in as, as blind as you can, and A24 did a, a remarkable job with the marketing, and, uh, you know, allowing it to slowly build since the Sundance release, you know, all the way to June. Uh, and, and to withhold still some of the best moments in the movie aren't even snipped on in the trailer. I just think it's what's making it play so well that people are like, that looks frightening as hell. And then they go see the movie and go like, my God, like, oh my God, you know? So. And I totally agree with that because when I first saw the trailer, obviously I was very pumped and amped for it, but I had no idea it was going to be about demons and possession and kind of have this rosemary babies vibe to it i thought it was going to be more a family horror kind of psychological mental health thing and so how you guys marketed it i thought was just brilliant yeah it's really good i mean i i I remember when the film came out and years i'm in my 50s and years ago uh even watching the marketing of the peewee brand and and stuff you know uh it's the world has changed obviously and uh um it isn't just about tv spots and print ads and magazines and so when a, when a film comes out like it did at Sundance and got such a great buzz, uh, right when we walked out of the theater, you know, we were all, it was 2.30 in the morning and we were jumping on our phones looking at social media and we were getting instant feedback, like classic, you know, Polanski S and Kubrick, you know, like a new Stanley Kubrick. And I was standing with Ari and I just showed him like a Twitter feed and it was like, oh my gosh, it's working. It worked. You know, and, uh, and then for it, then you, you step away and you go, okay, but if you're not going to let the movie out till the middle of June or in June, how are you going to hold that momentum for six months? And they did it. They did it with just calculated, brilliant marketing and teasing it and different trailers from different of the, you know, the characters, uh, different characters' perspectives. And, but boy, yeah, just again, that's all part of it. I mean, there's really good movies that get crushed by poor marketing and there's not so good movies that, that actually make it because of amazing marketing and so when you have two you know a great movie with great marketing this is what happens yeah and i can just say from like my own twitter feed you know everyone that saw it at sundance just couldn't shut up about it they were you know every time there's a new trailer out they're like like i can't wait until everyone gets to see this so it just yeah it's awesome yeah no it's really it's really cool. One of the more amusing things I do is, is just jump on Twitter and type in hashtag hereditary and just read what people write. It's amazing. And it's it's really funny at times. And people, I, mean, I know you're on a podcast and like language and stuff, but there was one person who wrote their tweet was just saw hereditary, 
fuck you, Ari Aster, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> like, holy crap. But that was that raw emotion as they walked out of the theater, you know? And I think that's what, what makes it so much fun. And, uh, you know, I have, I have to say this, like, I, my first film, uh, Big Adventure, I was an assistant to a producer, had very little role into, into, uh, you know, anything of substance for that movie. But I, I, I did get to watch what, what they did as, as a production, right? And to watch them get to, you know, it was Tim Burton's first feature and to see how the producers, and I think as I got older, I was able to look at that film, uh, from a production standpoint and see that the Warner people, Warner Brothers people involved as production, producers and production managers were super experienced in what they had done. And I had had conversations with my friend Rich subsequent was they just, surrounded that young director, super talented, visionary, all that stuff, with as strong of crew that they could, with all this experience, so that it basically said to Tim, we got you. You know, put your vision out there. We're going to help you execute this from the look and the comedic level and the, like just all elements of it. So I don't, not putting Ari with Tim, which who knows in a year, like that's an obvious, but, but in this film, and even being in Utah, my, my goal of getting part, you know, being part of it after meeting Ari was I got to do whatever I can to get as good a crew around him as possible where he just, tr- he trusts them. Like the people buy into this story of his and the vision and they trust him that he's going to, you know, p- put it together well. And more importantly, he trusts all of them that they know what they were doing. And, and, and that is what made a really, you know, when he said, like, I want to see the fire go up Tony's arm live in front of the fireplace and we were able to do that on set it was just it was really cool filmmaking and so you know I, I'm, I'm proud of the Utah crew uh, that delivered on it because I, I think it helped him you know we, we're making Ari Aster's first feature film and uh, you know 10 years from now that might even be cooler to say if anything he makes in the future is anywhere near as awesome as hereditary then I think we have a lot to look forward Right. Well, I think we helped set the bar pretty high for him. So yeah. He, so like in terms of just you know it was a real pro crew. We everybody kind of jumped on the RE uh, wagon for that ride. And, and uh, yeah, it, thankfully it's you know it's weird to talk about it so aggressively positive, but it just was a really positive experience. And I think when those elements all come together, you end up with a really cool film. And we're talking about making movies, and that's that's what we're trying to do, right? Is put stuff together that people want to see again tell their friends about, you know, and that, that sound will be pop culture folklore for, for my rest of my life, I'll bet, that clucking sound. So Yeah. Absolutely. Just briefly revisiting the, the whole Twitter thing, don't you just love that there's a little screaming Tony Follett head next to the hashtag? <laughs> amazing. It's all amazing. Like, you just look at it, you're like, I read things, I sit there with my, my kids or, you know, my mother, or I'm like, listen to what people are, like, because they were with me when I called and said, I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think it's for me, you know. And then I talked to two people I'm really close to that have nothing to do with the film business. And and they, it was that one thing when the guy said, Ben, you've made really crappy movies. And I realized, like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't crappy. And let's just go try to be a part of this and give these creative people the tools to make their film. And so then when it turns out where people are moved like that and screaming Tony Collette heads, and I just watched this a little PSA that some theaters back east are using where they got Charlie Graham, like she's Billy's there, and she's basically telling people to stop clucking that it's 
it's now one of the you know banned items from the theater. <laughs> and if you keep mugging, we know who you are, and our family knows how to deal with you. <laughs> and it's a it's a PSA they're playing before the movie. So yeah, along those lines, after we got out of the theater, because I I was giving Max a ride home afterwards, and I turned to him and I said. If you make that like clucking noise with your mouth, I'm going to throw you out of my car. <laughs> yeah, right? I've gotten in this habit of when people call me that because I'll, I'll get a text like, "Hey, we're going to see Hereditary," and then then every single one of them <laughs> wants to call me after they've seen it. You know, and a couple of guys are like, "What the hell was that?" But the, most of the people are like, "Holy crap, Chester! How did you work on you know on that?" And I know when the phone call comes in, I always answer it by you know if I go. On, like that and they're like what don't do that <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how powerful that little sound is and it, it really it's shooting the film we heard it we saw it. it did not have the impact that i thought it would at all and then the first time it happens you're like oh my god and i, I to the score like how good oh, is yeah. the score and the sound effect the score is the score itself feels like you're just wanting to go hey stop that like just turn that off like like chill out, you know. Let me relax for a minute. So even when the movie's not, it, like what's on screen isn't intense. That score just continues to just vibrate in you, and um, it just makes the experience even better. And Nathaniel and I talked a little bit about that too on our way home after seeing the film. Is how well the music not only foreshadowed but also in the moment. It just got under your skin, this entire movie. Every shot, every note, every clucking noise really just disturbed you. And it stuck with you. It does stick with you, right? That I, I, have, I have two daughters that are both grown and in their 20s, and they refuse to see it. <laughs> they just, they, they've seen the trailers, they've heard me talk about it. They just go, I can't see it, Dad. I'm not going to see it. So... I, ha- I know I try to talk them into going, and they're so worried that they're going to have nightmares and not be able to sleep. That well, after seeing it, I work part time at a hotel doing night shift security work, and it, it takes a lot for a movie to scare me. And this movie had me checking behind my shoulder all through the night. <laughs> it was great. Well, I you know I, part of seeing it twice, you know, if you like it, is to be able to turn your head. And know when something's coming and watch the reaction of the audience. And, uh, you know, there's nothing as, a, as filmmakers and if there's young filmmakers out there, you know, if you're making a comedy or a horror or whatever it is, just a drama, you know, to be able to put the camera in front of a test audience or any audience and watch how they respond, you know, to your film is very, I mean, it could be a bummer if you're looking for laughs and not getting them or you're looking for the scare and you're not, but but boy, is it telling to watch the audience from in front of them. Um, and, you know, as I sit there in the theater watching it, you know, turn my head and kind of look down the down the aisles as, you know, a particular scene coming up and then watch it in unison, you know, a crowd respond. You're like, well, that worked, you know, holy mackerel. <laughs> They're sucked into this and it's just really rewarding. It was a tremendous pleasure speaking with you and getting all of your awesome insight on on this great movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I thank you guys for calling man. Like, if, you know, I, I hope that people are, that listen to y'all or they're horror fans. Right. And, and, uh, what's been amazing. I would say this, but what's been amazing about hereditary's life path so far was how the horror genre, which again, I wasn't necessarily 
I didn't like, not like it, but I wasn't a big fan. Like, it wasn't something I just buried myself in. But watching it from this perspective now, how they stay true to it and not, like, no one's telling the secrets, right? No one's letting it out because they know how powerful the experience is when you go in. And, and being a comedy fan, you know, movies come out that are comedies, and if they're funny, you hear the jokes within 24 hours of the release of the film, right? Uh, and, but the horror fan seems to, like, appreciate and respect the genre so much, and when something's working and it's, it's exceeding expectations, they want every other horror fan to get that same experience. And I think it's so true uh, watching how that's unfolded on Hereditary, so... You know, God bless the horror fans for keeping secrets. Don't you ever raise your voice to me. I am your mother. We're back. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I I love all of the insight that Scott gave us. It, oh man, it like made me love that movie even more having been able to speak with him about the film. Ugh. Such a good movie. It's so amazing that this little podcast has kind of allowed us to network and connect with these incredible people who have done so much with their lives, especially within the film genre. Um, You know, for me growing up, I always wanted to be a film director. So to talk to someone who's actually living that uh, career, oh, my, uh, I just, it was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much, not only to Scott, uh, but also to the Utah Film Studios for allowing this amazing thing to happen for our podcast. Yes, I guess we dig into our thoughts about the movie. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think we kind of mentioned a few parts here and there with Scott, but um, do you maybe want to start us off and kind of tell us about your a few favorite parts of the film? Uh, I love that it lets me just soak up a lot of movies, if they're slower, you get bored. This movie, whenever it's slower, it, it was because it was just letting you skew in what you just saw and just let you feel like the genuine, sincere horror of everything that was going on in the movie. Um, for example, the infamous uh, scene in the car uh, just... The fact that the, it just focused in on Alex Wolf's face as Peter, it just stayed there and it just focused on his face and like you know, him realizing what just happened and then him just driving away. He stayed focused on his face, even you know, laying in bed. And then you hear uh, Tony Collette's character, Annie, you know, discover the body off screen and you get to experience all that to see like his facial expressions and uh, the acting and the way that that was shot just made the horror and, and you know in this case he was in a very real life horror it just made it so much more powerful because it warrants that level of this awfulness yeah and I think you really touched on something that I really enjoyed too was that this horror movie you know, I've seen a lot of posts online that some people kind of thought the pacing was a little too long, but at the same time, this is a true horror movie, not because it has jump scares, which it has a few, 
and they're very well done, but the bulk of the horror is in the discomfort it makes you feel throughout the entire movie. You never feel safe in this movie at all. It, it keeps you on the edge of the sea. It keeps your hands in fists. And at one point during the movie, both you and me kind of had our faces covered at the horror that was being projected. And I think you nailed it on the head. A lot of this realistic horror, you know, the famous car scene with Alex Wolf or, you know, the dinner scene where Tony Collette is yelling at her son and kind of resenting his existence that is real horror, real life horror. And the way they portrayed it in this movie is just, it's raw and it's gritty and it, it kind of messes you up. It sticks with you in ways that a lot of modern horror movies just don't do because they jump scare you and then the horror's over. You see the monster, you see the demon, you see the alien, you know, whatever medium they're using. You get it, and it's done, and then you go home and everything moves on, you know? And this movie, it doesn't do that. It really messes with you and sticks to you and gets in your head a little bit. So, I guess, what are, what are some of your favorite aspects of Brent Um, How many can I give you? <laughs> um, so, honestly, I think my all-time favorite thing about this movie is how well it portrayed the whole demon aspect of everything so on the one hand i had no idea that this was going to be about demons which i think worked in my favor because you know you, th you see a movie that's about an exorcism or about possession and you kind of start to generate these ideas of what the movie is going to have in it and i had no idea about hereditary that it was a possession film and the way they handled the the whole possession issue and the cult of Payman and everything that was leading up to this ultimate possession of Alex Wolf's character was done so well, almost in a respectful way to, you know, this religion and this mythos of demons. You know, there were no cloven hooves and horns. It was very subtle, very simplistic, and at the same time, scared you out of your pants. And so as an occult fanatic and, uh, you know, self-trained demonologist, I really, really appreciated Ari Aster, his take and his realistic approach to what modern demonology really looks like in today. Yeah, I, I mean, I like that it didn't fall into a lot of tropes because we've seen all of those things. You know, we've seen people painting stuff with blood everywhere and, you know, all, all of the you know, pentagrams all over, whatever. Like, this, let it be its own thing in, in a lot of really interesting ways. It let the cult be scary for very natural reasons, as opposed to just, hey, like, look, it's, you know, like, like, like things that you see in a Marilyn Manson music Exactly. And, you know, I, I really appreciated how at the end, you know, the, the demon obviously was very sinister and very malevolent, but it was more prying on the emotions of the people who were around Alex Wolf's character. And, you know, any religious text you read nowadays that talks about exorcism, it's going to mention a lot of those negative emotions playing a factor. And another thing that I just thought 
was really fantastic and I appreciated in the movie was when Payman finally does possess Alex Wolf character. It's almost like it's this newborn infant kind of, he doesn't really know what's going on. He's got this cult who's worshiping him. And I think that in my mind is one of the best interpretations of possessions because if you attribute the idea that, you know, demons don't have bodies and their whole purpose on this earth is to possess the souls of the righteous or whatever, them actually obtaining a physical body would be a very new experience to them. And just the way Alex Wolf portrayed that, and it was just, it made you believe that this was really happening. And it's, it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. I, I honestly believe that in 15 or 20 years from now, this movie will be the demon movie. You know, right now we have The Exorcist that really kind of set the bar for a lot of future demon movies. And I think Hereditary is going to be The Exorcist in a few years' time. It's that good in my mind. Yeah, well, I like it because it, it reads a lot of new life. Because everything since The Exorcist has just tried to be The Exorcist. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it, this is like the freshest, most unique take on yeah, a possession story that I have seen ever. Because it's just so different than a lot of I mean, like, right. I feel like a lot of other uh, you know, demons can do fresh and interesting things, like, for example, Exorcism of Emily Rose. But like, this format was really refreshing, but this is just so altogether different. And like I mentioned, it's really true and honest to the way I think, and I've understood modern demonology to be. It's not this burning effigies and blood pentagrams on the wall it's this group of people who believe in the spirit that they think can do good things for them it almost treating it like an adoration of an angel or a saint and trying to bring to pass his existence it it, it blew my mind blew my mind if you love demon movies if you love possession movies you have to see this so let's talk about the scariest parts for us. I know you kind of mentioned one, that car scene, which I think we would all agree with. Um, what else scared you? Uh, the whole final act. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Can we, Disturbing. That, that, the, like the whole last 30 minutes of the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just, yeah, as soon as basically Steve, the, the husband, gets lit on fire from the, then on, the movie is just Oh, terrifying. And I think my favorite part of all of that was when Tony Collette kind of realized, or not, excuse me, not Tony Collette, Alex Wolf's character, when he realizes as his dad is burned to death, and in the distance you see one of the cult members stark naked in the hallway. And at this point, you're like, is this the demon? Is this the cult? What the hell is going on? Yeah, at that point, I think we're like, oh my gosh, the demon's behind him. But then it wasn't. And it wasn't the demon, it was just a cult person, but the whole movie had kind of made me want to see the demon. And even at the very end, when it's just at its worst, they still don't show you the demon, and it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The only time you see the demon in any sort of sense is just Alex Wolf's performance, you know, that's a possessed Peter kind of grinning a little bit. 
Yeah, and again, that was more scary to me than actually seeing... You know, the first thing I think of is in Annabelle Creation. I think they exposed the demon in that movie way too prematurely. And it's like this big, hairy, Disney Beauty and the Beast beast with glowing eyes. And at that moment, it just loses all horror to me. And this movie makes you use your imagination about what this demon looks like and what this demon acts like. And that that is what makes it scary in my head. And and I feel like it, yeah, a lot of the scares are very grounded in reality. Uh-huh. And and I, I feel like the use of the practical effects in the film, too, really contributed to that. You know, the fact that they had, you know, some really impressive, you know, rigging and stuff for having, you know, Annie up in the, up in the ceiling kind of thing, you know, creeping around, like, the, just all of the physicality of that, or the fact that, they actually like lit Tony Collette's arm on fire and all of that. Like the fact that it was, had so many real practical effects made all of the performances that much more real and made all of the scares that much more effective. But you know me in practical effects. <laughs> uh, so to not make this episode three hours long, <laughs> um, fair. What? level of scream would you get it on a scale one to ten i i'm split between a nine and a ten honestly i'm the exact same way i want to say here i'm gonna go with a nine but the fact that i'm still thinking about this movie like every day not just because we have interviews about it it still is like affecting me makes me want to give it a ten but ultimately when i walked out of the theater i felt too strong about a nine so i'm gonna go with a nine I would have to be the same way. Um, I feel like you only have so many tens to give out in your life, and so but I a nine am. Is yeah, nine I think is the highest scary movie that we've rated so far on the podcast. This movie is not for the light of heart. If you are an amateur into horror movies, I would wait a little bit until you see this movie. If you're a veteran of horror movies, stop what you're doing right now and go see this movie. <laughs> and really, if if demons get under your skin, if the whole possession idea gets under your skin, stay away from this movie with a 50-foot pole because it will get to you and stick with you. I guess use like The Conjuring as a frame of mind. If that kind of demon scared you, uh, uh, you're going to want to think uh, twice uh, about this movie. Heck, if The Exorcist scared you, yeah, which it should have, movie but yeah then hereditary is just it's just something special it i i honestly didn't know you know like i looked at a list of like all the horror movies coming up this year and i was like i don't know like then when i saw this movie i'm like oh i don't know who's gonna beat this this year it's such a good movie speaking of which crowns for me 10 out of 10 hands down yeah i'm gonna give it 10 crowns as well it was a very good movie it was the cinematography was beautiful the music was well timed and fit the mood the acting was just above and beyond if tony collette's not nominated for an oscar i'm losing my faith in the academy and i think aria after to get both nominations for his directing and his writing agreed he, he is someone to look forward to like anything that he 
does from here on out, I'm going to go see just because of how good this movie was. So yeah, I mean, this movie is is probably, in my opinion, up to this point, scariest slash best movie of the year that I've seen so far. Fair. It's one of the best movies we've covered in the podcast. Agreed. And we're going to cover it again next episode. Dun dun dun! So I guess, should we wrap up then in the meantime? Yeah, again, I just wanted to give a huge special thanks to Utah Film Studios for allowing us to collaborate with them. Um, and even a bigger thanks to Scott Chester. I know you've got a crazy busy schedule and take, you know, 40 minutes out of your time to talk to two horror nerds from Utah. Thank you so much. We are deeply, deeply appreciative of it and would love to continue interviewing. Check us out uh, on social media. We are you know, at Pod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. We've got an Instagram. Um, and also, we are now on Patreon. I am still figuring out all of our Patreon goals and all of that, but by the time this episode goes up, hopefully we'll have a fully functional uh, Patreon page and patreon.com slash springkings. All right. Well, definitely tune in for our next episode. Like Nathaniel mentioned, we are doing a two-part hereditary episode. Uh, our next episode will feature an interview with Marshall D. Moore, who is the vice president of marketing for the utah film studios and maybe and potentially one of the actors from hereditary will also be a guest regardless whoever is interviewing on the episode it's going to be an awesome awesome one to listen to and plus we'll have a very special uh cult corner uh, talking about the demon of hereditary payment i can't tell you how much research i've already done about payment because this movie just did such a good job. <laughs> Stay spooky, friends. Bye.